I, I just want this to be a more relaxed type of atmosphere for the next uh, little while as we look at some scripture and talk over something that's familiar to some of us, maybe most of us, but not as much to others. And I want to do a little teaching and I want to do a little reminding. And uh, I think as we grow as a church, uh, both uh, in numerical terms, but more importantly, spiritually, uh, it's time every once in a while to revisit some things. Uh, some One of the great um, uh, theologians said that uh, our greatest need is not revelation of new truth. It's a reminding of some, reminder of something we already know. And I find that true in my own Christian life. I don't know about you. And uh, so sometimes I have to go back and, and just kind of be reminded of things that I should know or already do know. And uh, God's just been blessing in wonderful ways. Um, before we go to the scripture, I want to just say that this is the day the Lord has made. and We will rejoice and be glad in it. Yeah. And that will keep him in per perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. These are some great verses of scripture. Great peace have they who love thy law. Cast all your burdens on him, for he cares for you. Isn't that a great verse? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Can it get any simpler? All who come to me I will in no wise cast out. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He has given us a spirit of courage, a spirit of peace, and a spirit of sound mind. How precious it, how precious it is, the psalmist said, for brethren to dwell together in unity. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. And unto him, Jude said, unto him who is able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before the, the glory of his presence, unto the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, now, till Jesus comes again, and even forevermore. Amen. Amen, amen, and amen. Just some little reminders of the God we serve and the word we teach. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we're going to read, listen, help yourself to read along with me. We're going to have these, uh, all of these verses on the screen. I'm going to start, just so you know, at verse 17. And if you're wondering what this is all about and you're a little confused by some of the wordage, then let me just tell you it's about order at the Lord's Supper. And Paul is writing here to the Corinthian believers. Many of them should know what's expected. Some of them would, some of them wouldn't. And many of them would know but have forgotten or have gotten lazy. And Paul is bringing them up on this. So we start at verse 17, the words of the Apostle Paul. But in the following instructions, I cannot praise you, for it sounds as if more harm than good is done when you meet together. First, I hear that there are divisions among you when you meet as a church, and to some extent I believe it. But of course, there must be divisions among you so that you who have God's approval will be recognized. When you meet together, you are not really interested in the Lord's Supper. Some of you hurry to eat your own meal without sharing with others. As a result, some go hungry while others get drunk. Sounds like quite a service. What? Don't you have your own homes for eating and drinking? Or do you really want to disgrace God's church and shame the poor? What am I supposed to say? Do you want me to praise you? Well, I certainly will not praise you for this. For I pass on to you what I receive from the Lord himself. 
On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and he said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament between God and his people. It's an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you're eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That's why many of you are weak and sick and some have even died. But if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. Yet when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So, my dear brothers and sisters, interesting words after he just beat them up. When you gather for the Lord's Supper, what's the next word? What's the next word? Wait. Wait for each other. It may seem like that's an inconsequential little phrase there, but it's very, very important. If you are really hungry, eat at home so you won't bring judgment upon yourselves when you meet together. And then to end that portion of the letter, he says, I'll give you instructions about the other matters. So obviously there were many other things going on after I arrive. And so that's the end of that portion that I want to share with you. As, as a boy, uh, around 10 years of age, I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. It was a wonderful thing. Um, someone said, do you know exactly where you were, and do you know exactly the circumstance, and do you know exactly... I, I, I do remember most all of that. I really want to put a plug in here for uh, Christian camps because I think that's where I really accepted the Lord and that's where I really uh, was under conviction to, to make this important decision. But I know later on I made it public in my church back home and uh, that too was a very exciting time. And it was just a few months later after a few classes, uh, I do know it was at the age of 11, I followed my Lord's example. Now you say, were you ever 10 or 11? Yes, I... I saw Christopher Columbus when he went up the coast, as a matter of fact. So this was just after that. And in obedience to him, I was baptized according to the scriptures. I have people tell me quite often that they've been baptized, but I fail to hear them say that they've been baptized according to the scriptures. And that's very important. So soon after that, I was formally welcomed into the Church Fellowship of Believers, and that was a special day. They made a really big deal over that. And I experienced my first observance of the Lord's Supper, or call it the Lord's Table, or call it Communion, or kind of call it whatever you want to, or whatever you're used to calling it as you grew up. 
Now, if every single month since then, from then to today, I had taken communion, and let me just give you a little backdrop there. Church I was brought up in, we did communion once a month without fail. The odd time, it would be done a, a, maybe an extra time. I know churches that do it every week, every Sunday. I know churches that do it on Saturday. I was, went into a church one time, and they said, well, just so you know, we do the Lord's Supper once a year. Uh, some people go to their form of communion every day. But I was brought up in the custom of doing communion once a month. Nothing says that you have to do it once a month, once a week, once a day, or every hour. It just says, as often as you do it, know why you're doing it, examine yourself, and remember the Lord's death till he comes. So I figured this, if I worked on the monthly scale since then, from that time to today, that I had taken communion, by now, give or take a few, uh, I'd, I, I, it would mean approximately 800 times. Well, I did some quick calculating one day. I came to the conclusion that for me, uh, I have served or been served the communion element somewhere, it wasn't 800 for sure, but somewhere between five and 600 times. Now, maybe you have partaken of communion many times too. Matter of fact, may, maybe many more than I have, or even maybe some of you far fewer. The number of times is not the most significant thing, but rather the heart preparation and the sincere ministry to one's soul that really matters. We don't believe that this is a church tradition. This is not part of our liturgical calendar. This is something we do because the scripture exhorts us to do this in remembrance of what's been done for us. Now, just for a moment, in your own mind, and some of you probably can go back and picture this quite easily, I want you to put yourself in the middle of a story that I'm going to tell. And some of it you'll identify with, some of it you may not, but that's just to put yourself there anyway. And then see yourself as an energetic child. How many of you were energetic children with a lot of gusto and you just were playing and working hard at everything you did just just going all the time as a child as a kid as a, if you were outdoors you were climbing the tree and then jumping to the next one and if you were indoors you were like a bull moose in a china shop I mean you were just okay so here you are as an ener energetic child I'm telling the stories if as if I were one too I was very I was a very uh, sedate kind of person. I wasn't very lively then. But, uh, but just think that we're together on this. And here we are. We've been playing. We're hungry. Now just picture where your favorite play spot was outdoors. And you've been playing and playing and playing, maybe all afternoon, maybe all day. And you're really hungry. And uh, add to that, you probably put in a long day at school if it was school time. And you've been playing hard outside, and you're called in by mom. Or may, how many of you get called in at mealtime by your mom, probably, right, or your grandma? Yeah. Or in our, or maybe the porch light went on, and that was your signal to hightail at home. Yeah. No. Anybody? No. Um, for us, it was when the street lights came on. I was a city boy, and when the street lights came on, I knew I wasn't supposed to be outside. But long before that, I'd hear my mother barking, and I knew it was time to get home. Now, we, we got cleaned up for supper. Which in itself, that was a daunting task. 
How many of you know that was one of the hardest things you did all day, is to clean up for, for the meal? So now you're home, you're in the house, you're smelling something cooking, your, your juices are flowing now, you've cleaned up, you look like a million bucks, and you're ready to dig in. And then it always happened with the first thrust of a fork into a potato or the plunge of a knife into the butter dish, we always heard those same grueling words. Wait! You kids just sit there and wait for your father and me. Anybody ever hear anything kind of akin to that? Or if you didn't hear the words, you read it on facial expressions? Yeah. How many of you had a parent that had facial expressions? Didn't have to say a word. Yeah. With that, dutifully, you would, most times anyway, hold your hands uh, together or on your lap. And then you would try, without much success, to just ignore the delicious aroma. You were thinking of starting to eat your meal without your hands. Just dive into it. Because you were famished. You've been working hard. You've been playing hard. You washed up hard. It was a tough day. And you tried to appear to wait patiently for your mom and your dad. And you thought at times they were just stalling to see how long you could stand it. I don't think they were. but Finally, they arrive at the dinner table. And then you have to wait again. Because if you're a family where they said the blessing, you had to wait for the blessing to be said. Then you had to wait for the first plate to be passed. And the plates went usually for the adults first, from one adult to the other. And uh, I know things have greatly changed since then. We knew better than to reach across the table under their watchful eye or to grab for stuff that hadn't been passed to us. I don't know how much of that you're identifying with. But the point in this story that strikes me and the point in the scripture that I read in Paul's letter to the Corinthians is the concept of waiting, waiting. I want to tell you this morning that waiting is one of the most important things we do in our Christian life. Yet it's highly underrated by the world. See, you like something because the world told you you would, because the world told you you need that, and once you see it, you've got to have it, and you, don't, you can't wait till tomorrow because the sale's over at midnight tonight, and you've got to have that when? Right now. now. Not in an hour's time, not this evening, not first thing tomorrow. You've got to have that whatever it is when? Yeah. Now. You've got to do that particular thing when? Now. Waiting is so underrated by the world we live in. Uh, waiting sometimes, or many times, is not convenient either. Waiting, some people feel, just wastes precious time. Waiting means we might miss out on something. You see, if you want an example of that, if it's possible and if there's a spot, park on the outskirts of a mall and observe Black Friday. It's hard to wait. Try waiting for a doctor's report. And I'm sorry that I couldn't give some people that asked me more information when they asked me today. I'm waiting on a doctor's report. Even my wife asked me on the way in today 
when do you think you'll hear? Have you heard? And blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I don't know. I could call, I guess. But waiting for a doctor's report can be trying. Waiting, try waiting for the healing process in your body to take place. It's easier to pick up the scab, isn't it? I mean, really. But you just try to wait. You got to let the healing process take over and do its thing. What about waiting in the checkout line? How many of you love doing that? Okay. Okay. Very few of us, as I thought. Uh, matter of fact, very few of us in this world today are okay with waiting anywhere or at any time about anything because it's not convenient. How many times in the course of a day or a week do you hear someone say to someone else, it's okay, or maybe they say it to you, you go on ahead, I don't mind waiting. Or maybe you say it to someone. And even if we do say that, in our minds we're still putting a time limit on it. I want to say, yeah, you can go ahead, but keep it moving, keep it moving. <laughs> See, if we let someone go ahead of us, we have expectations that they're going to respect us for our kindness, and they're going to move ahead quickly, and they're not going to stand and chat for an hour or all day with the cashier or the waitress or whoever it is. And that's the expectation that we have in our mind, right? Mm -hmm. How many are still with this scenario? Okay, so for the three of you, uh, let's go back now to the story uh, in our scripture lesson. Here are the people in the church at Corinth that had a problem. Their problem was with waiting. In fact, waiting was just a symptom of a much deeper problem we found out. And if we hadn't read those verses, we may not have known that. The real problem wasn't just that they had, a, had trouble waiting. Their real problem was they were divided. There were inner conflicts. There were struggles going on between them and among them. They were divided between the rich on one hand and the poor on the other. And so what would happen? They'd have these dinners or suppers, or whatever you call them. Some places call them potluck. Some places call them covered dish because they don't believe in luck. And then some places call them something else. Here we're going to call it a fellowship dinner for now, Okay. And, they were, and, and in, in the biblical time or term when we look at this, we think of them as love feasts, which I think is pretty re, uh, re, ironic because there wasn't a whole lot of love being shown here in the Corinthian church, according to Paul. Not much evidence. Anyway, they'd have a love feast. So let's say that's their fellowship dinner, okay? And the rich would bring lots of good, good, good food, and the poor would bring whatever they could, scratch up. And instead of waiting for everyone, the rich would dive in and eat their own stuff before the poor could even get to it. And they didn't share. It'd be like us coming here to a potluck or fellowship dinner. And because, because I brought the filet mignon, which I, I like at times, I'm going to bring that to the fellowship dinner or the love feast. But then, boy, I'm going to make sure that just our family gets to eat it. Because we don't want to end up with tater tot hot dishes. And I don't want to end up with beans and weenies. When I can eat, when I can eat filet mignon. See, there was always plenty 
think about the scenario. But the, the rich got it first. And they drank first. And while the poor were trying to grab something to eat, whatever they could find, the rich had already eaten and now they were drinking. And it's no wonder they ended up getting drunk. The poor were just starting to eat. And now the rich were having a party. So Paul says that magic word, wait. Wait for each other. And then he gives the example, and this is what cut them to the core. He gave them the example of what Jesus did when they broke bread together at the Passover meal. And when he wrote this letter, Paul said he wasn't giving 21st century pastors a liturgy for administrating communion ministering community, he was admonishing people who eat together in the name of Jesus to eat with the right spirit, a spirit of unity. And friends, the reason we do that, the reason we wait for one another, the reason we share with one another is because Jesus gave his body and his blood for us. He shared himself with us. So when we get together, we share ourselves and what we have with one another. That's Christianity. That's the heart of, of our coming together. That's the heart of what we really are and what we believe and, and, and who we say we are. Because when we come together for worship, whatever the form is, that's communion. When we come together for our love feast, our potluck, maybe we should start calling it the love feast from now on. That's communion, even though we're not taking communion as we traditionally know it. Any time we come together in the name of Jesus, it's communion. So then when we take communion, as we know it, when we take the, the elements, we are to remember not only what Jesus did for us, but how Jesus did it, by pouring himself out for us. See, we have a picture of that every time we get together as believers. That's why communion isn't just for today. That's why it isn't just for one particular Sunday and one particular month of the year. That's why Christmas isn't just for one day of the year. That's why Thanksgiving isn't just for one day in November every year. Because of communion. Because of that coming together and pouring ourselves out and sharing in each other's lives. Communion, I'm going to say this because we've been talking a lot. We're starting to talk a lot here about community. We're faith, community, fellowship. And we're coming back to that theme. Communion is community. It is an affirmation of our unity in Christ. I'm just so thankful for the message that Pastor Todd brought last week on the meaning of church and how all the different elements come together and how when we come together to worship, to praise, to sing, to give glory to God, to serve, whatever it is, whether it's here or beyond these walls, that's church, that's communion. And that is what makes community. It's an affirmation of our unity in Christ. And that's why we wait for one another. That's why we share with one another. That's why we pour ourselves out for the sake of the other person. And that's why quite often I think we should have a love feast here. Maybe we plan it that Sunday that we're going to celebrate communion. I don't know. Maybe that would be a good time. Just a suggestion. Because it's a picture of what happens when, as someone said, our soul shifts. And when I say that, I mean we shift 
from me to you. And we need a soul shift. Did you find that in the run of a week and in the run of life, you're tied up so much and to such an extent with the me in your life that you have very little time left over for the you of life, the others of your life? Do you ever find that I, me, mine are such overworked words when we should be investing in others, we should be looking to you, not me? See, the picture of communion as we receive the bread and the cup is a picture of unity, and I hope you'll remember this this morning a little later. Uh, it's a picture of unity in the body of Christ. It's a, it's a picture of a complete and total scene of what we call other-centeredness. When we come to the Lord's Supper, it's not about me, it's not about you, it's not about, it's, it, it's about being other-centered. It's about reaching out to that other person. Hmm. A soul shift from me to you. And that's, I think, expressly why Paul gives the example of how Jesus ate the Passover meal together with his disciples. So there'll be no division. We'll wait. You see, waiting does some things. And I just want to share these with you. Take a moment. One, it allows us to examine our hearts. That's what verse 28 in the scripture said. And when we examine our hearts coming to the Lord's Supper, it highlights or reminds us of our relationship with Christ. So it reminds us of our position, our lot, in that we have salvation, eternal salvation, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So as we come together, we must first examine ourselves. And see that relationship with Jesus for what it is. The second thing that waiting does, verse 21 clearly tells us this, is it reminds us that we are all equal in Christ. Uh, uh, is that on the screen? Yeah. Let's all say that together, just that one slide. Waiting reminds us that we are that's a comforting word right there isn't it there's no hierarchy there's no one-upmanship there's no i win you lose we are all what's the word what's the word equal in christ I always used to say, we're equally lost and, thank God, equally saved. Amen. Amen. And that reminds us of the fact that we're equal in Christ, and it highlights our relationship with others. When I'm reminded of my relationship with Jesus, I'm reminded of my salvation. But along with that, I'm reminded 
that there are others on this journey. And I must be reminded of my relationship with them. So that's sharing. He says, wait. He says, share. Third thing that waiting does is it celebrates the hope we have in Christ's return. Verse 26. Yeah. And that highlights our relationship with you, yourself. So we have Jesus, and we have others, and we have you. You have J, you have O, you have Y. And that if you have J, O, and Y, you have joy. joy. Sanctification. There was some, some of you studied some of that. And, and I think in, uh, in Surge or Jammers, not too long ago, they were talking about this. They talk about big words that most of us out here don't understand. But boy, they get it down over there. Um, and that's what this is about. So today as we receive the elements in a few moments we're going to, let's receive them with joy. We're going to wait, as we normally do here at Faith Community, for everyone to receive both elements. And I'd like it when the music starts, if there are lyrics on the screen, we just sing along so that we can be one in the Spirit. And just lift our voices together as one. This is, not a, this is not a music con, uh, a contest or a, a music festival or a competition. This is a chance for us to all be equal and lift our voice of praise to the one who saved us. And then we partake. And then we receive, when we partake, the blessing of our wonderful God. And so before we do that, we're going to sing some, a couple songs. We're going to have the worship team come and, and the band are going to take their places now. And then we're going to join together in prayer, and Pastor Todd is going to come after that. So let's let the band come, and let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of life, eternal life, through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for all that's been done on our behalf, and thank you for the way that our salvation has been purchased through the blood of Christ, the everlasting covenant between God and man. Thank you so much that as we come to the Lord's table, we can come with meaning and purpose in our hearts, and, and we can come with our, with our, without expectations and without uh, our own hopes or without any plans. We can just come and worship you and lift you up, Lord, because you alone are worthy to be praised. Father, we thank you for this moment. We thank you for this morning where we can be together and we can be in unity and we can be reminded that we are the body of Christ. And as we go from here, may we go out of here into our community to fellowship and to enjoy and to celebrate true communion. And we praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.